Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. I am, like always, super excited for this week's episode. I feel like I'm excited for every episode, but yeah, I am. Because there's always a lot to talk about. And yeah, I will try to make it like shorter than the episode from last week. But yeah, there's, like I said, a lot to talk about. So I will start like right away because we don't need to have a very long introduction if the episode is going to be like more than one hour long. So let's go. Today, we're going to talk about episode two of season two of Downton Abbey that I called the one where Carson loses his battle. Let's start, shall we? So last episode, we saw that there were some differences between the main characters. We had the one that were at the front and the ones that were not. And from the ones that were not, we had the one that wanted to go at the front, like William. Well, in this episode, we can have two characters in contradiction, if I can say that this way. We have like William and we have Mr. Lang, who is the new valet of Robert. And so we know that Lang was in the trenches because Robert said so in the beginning of the episode, but he has been invalided out. That's why he's not at war anymore. So he's far from the ones that were at the front. And William, in this episode, he receives a letter and he has been called up because if you remember last episode, he hasn't been called up because Violet went into it. But Clarkson then changed what he said to the war office. And so now William has been called up, so he will go to war. And before going, he would like to have a picture of Daisy. So he, he asked her if she can have one taken. So he can have like a souvenir. Because last episode, Daisy, she kissed him. And so he thinks that she's his girl. But apparently she's not, like it was not what she had planned. William is going and so there's a scene where he's in the library with Cass and Robert and Cora and Cora tells him to go and see his father before his medical. I even like when Cora says to Cass and you won't mind and he's like well you know if it's like today or in three days it doesn't make a difference because at the end of the day I will have no footman. And William he comes back dressed in uniform like Anna says he looks very smart and they're all pleased to see him. And Daisy, she's a bit uncomfortable because she made him think that there were, I quote, sweethearts, but for her, it's not really the case. And so she's kind of uncomfortable because where he asks for a picture of her and where he acts like, yeah, like they're together in a way. And so, yeah, like I said, she's uncomfortable. And so she talks with Mrs. Padmore and Mrs. Padmore, she's very emotional with the whole thing since the beginning of the episode. We're going to talk about why after and she says to Daisy, she says, you can't let him go to war with a broken heart or he won't come back. So basically, she tells her to let him think that, yes, they are sweethearts. She says even you don't have to marry him when it comes to it, but just for the war, you send him happy because he thinks you're his girl. And when he comes back from war, safe and sound, you don't have to marry him. That's the plan. So William, like I said, we have William. And on the other side, we have Lang. Like we said, Lang, who has been to war and has been invalided out. So he's new. We already said it, but O'Brien, she always has to be nice with newbies. 
you know, there's and she immediately snap at him because he's cleaning something in the servants' hall. We see that he is shaking, he has trouble like closing the bottle. So she's like, well, you know what, you can finish it and go after that. So she saw that he was trembling and we saw that too. So O'Brien did something a bit nice, which is uh, not something we used to. And after that, Ethel, she's flirty with Lang. Well, sometimes I even think that it's the way she speaks. It always makes me think that she flirts with almost everybody. And I love this exchange where he's sewing. And uh, so Ethel, she says, However can you make those big hands do such delicate work? I expect there's no end to the things they could manage. Giving you a slap for a start. But then O'Brien, she sees what he's doing and she's very friendly with him, which is a completely different attitude from what she did the first time we see her interact with him. So we know there's something wrong with them, especially if you have been even died of the war, something happened to you. So, or you have been wounded, like physically wounded, like Thomas, or something else. And Carson, he asks Lang to help serve a table. And we see on his face, I'm not going to say horror, but almost. Like he's like, me, wait, I table. You can see that he's absolutely not comfortable with the idea. Just before dinner, Anna, she says to Mrs. Hughes, I mean, Mr. Lang, he seems nervous. And Mrs. Hughes, she says, stage fright. But you can feel his nervousness just before serving at dinner when he speaks with Anna. He's like, okay, who am I supposed to start to serve? Like, with whom? And at the beginning, Anna's like, well, you did that before. I mean, you must remember. And he says, not since before the war. So again, something happened at war. Obviously, something happened. But it's what happened at war that caused him to be this nervous. And so during dinner, where he doesn't follow Carson, and so everything is a bit of a mess. Like he, he's supposed to go after Carson, and I mean, he goes before him, where everything is a mess. Carson tried to take everything in his hands and well we're going to talk about the dinner when you talk about Carson like it's a bit of a mess. Carson has a dizzy spell like he's really unwell he's almost fainting. Lang he's like frozen like I don't know he saw something so horrible just he can't move like he's yeah like he's frozen. So what Mrs. Hughes comes to try to save the dinner but O'Brien she comes to and she comes actually to help Lang. She even said, I'm going to clear the mess he kind of made. So she's nice, which, like I said, we're not used to that. So after dinner, when Cora and Robert are in her bedroom, they talk a bit about Lang. And Robert, he says, well, he seemed so solid to me when I first met him. Like the guy seems strong. And now he's a bundle of nerves. And then we have the answer. I think we kind of all guessed what was wrong. But then we have the answer because in the livery cupboard, when he, well, wants to hang delivery before going up, O'Brien comes to see him and she says that she'd seen cases of Cheshire before because she had the brother with it. And then she actually gives some personal information. And you realize that since the beginning she met him, well, I think when she saw his hand shaking, she might have recognized the signs of Shellshock. I kind of like this story because we see a nicer part of her because before that, she was just a nasty piece of work. And then we see a nicer part of her that she has been through grief. She has been through not really pleasant things. Well, anyway, 
And she even says to him, you shouldn't be working because psychologically you can't work. And he said, well, I don't know what I can do if I can't work. And so you, you kind of in between because he can't work. He's not able right now, psychologically speaking, to work. But on the other hand, what will he do if it doesn't work? What we do, like he would be at home waiting. So it's really complicated. And then we have actually a talk between William and Mr. Lang. When William is in uniform, he's ready to go to war. He's still happy and honored and proud to go and fight for king and country. And when Lang said, so you're still like happy or stuff like that, you know, you're still happy to go. And William says, yes, you know, I know I'm not important, but I want to do my bit. I want to participate in it. I believe in it. And I love the answer that Lang gives him. Oh, yes, you're part of it. Like a metal cog is part of a factory. And a grain of sand is part of the beach. I think this character was really interesting because well, he knows what is happening there. And the part of him can't understand why there are some men that want to go there. Because once you have been there, you do not want to come back. You want to go home. Well, we saw that with Thomas. We saw even with Matthew. And then we have William, the nice, really kind of happy and glad that he can finally go to war. And then we're going to talk about him later. But Robert, who is completely depressed by the fact that he can't go. And then we have Lang that came back. And for some, he came back safe and sound, but actually he did not. And what he saw would stay in his mind forever. And so he would never fully recover, psychologically speaking, of what happened there. So I thought it was a nice, um, well, a nice, an interesting comparison between William and Lang. So we talked a bit about Mrs. Papmore being really emotional about the fact that William is going to war. And she was already emotional last episode, you know, because like I said, no one wants to see them go to war because you don't know if they're going to come back safe and sound. Well, in this episode, she received a letter and we can see that she's really, truly upset by it. But we don't know what it is. Obviously, when it's war, I'm not going to say every news you have is bad news, but like you are bound, like I said last episode with Sybil, you are bound to have sometimes bad news, which is very sad. Then she, she talks with Anna, and I love the fact that she really talks with Anna, so you can see that, well, first Anna, uh, I think everyone, if they have something to say to someone, it's Anna or Mrs. Hughes, but like, you know, <laughs> Anna, she's the sweetest, and you know, and she came with her to London. Uh, when she got her eye surgery. So I think they got to be closer after that. But so she talks with Anna and she says what was said in a letter and apparently her sister's son is missing and presumed dead. And so Anna tells her to ask his lordship because he knows people. Yeah, because he's kind of influenced. He knows people. So maybe he can have answers, you know, to know what happened to her sister's son. So that's what she does. Mrs. Papmore goes to see Robert to ask him if he can help her, which he did while he says he would try to help. Even tell her, you know that the answer is that he's probably dead. And she says, yes, we know, but it's better to know that he's dead than just to hope that he might not be. Which, in a way, I, I agree with her. It's better to know for sure than just to wait and have no answers. And then in a scene, Mrs. Papmore is in the kitchen and she gives Daisy instructions and you can see Robert coming in. He comes in like quietly, very slowly. Like truly, when you see him come in, it feels like he's a bit out of place. You know, 
he's so dashing with his white tie and so yeah i really like how he comes in and when they all realize he's here they're like oh my god your lordship we didn't like we didn't see you coming and we didn't hear you come in and so robert wants to torture her so we realize they might have answers and mrs hughes offered them to go into their city room to talk privately so he, he invites her to sit and well it's nice but usually when you invite someone to sit because you have bad news to tell them so he says to miss papon that her nephew is dead and she even says well i i knew it like i i sensed it i already said to my sister he's dead and he said well no it's it's worse than that and she looks at him she's like what can be worse than being dead private philpots were shot for cowardice on the 17th of february this explains why the regiment was reluctant to supply information and then after that robert he makes mrs hughes come in to comfort her and so he just tells her that her nephew has been killed and miss papmore she wants to say well there's more because it's well it's worse than that and i like what robert says it is all mrs patmore let us make sure it is all we cannot know the truth we should not judge and again this scene just is a proof that robert is a very very kind man not just because he looks for information for one of his employees but the way he gave her the news and what he says to her and well you already know i love robert but i yeah again i have nothing more to say just the fact that i love him and he's very kind and yeah so that's very hard on mrs papmore because you have two news the news that someone of your family is dead and that is not just dead like shot for cowardice is is the strong thing um and so yeah poor her and that's why she's very emotional by william going because her nephew went and now well he never came home so earlier i said that thomas was invalided out because last episode we left him getting shot in the hand on purpose and so kind of a bit of an answer to the scene in last episode where Cora and O'Brien are talking a bit about Thomas when she said, when Cora said, like, I wish he could come home. Now we have Cora and O'Brien talking about Thomas again. And Cora saying that she, well, she wished she could have been treated in their hospital, but can't be because it's only for officers and he was not an officer. But O'Brien tells her that he would like to be transferred at the hospital to work if he can. And Cora, she finds the idea absolutely marvelous. Like, well, maybe I can ask Dr. Clarkson. Maybe, uh, you know, I can ask him to pull a few strings and put Thomas here because why not? You know, because technically Downton, it's kind of his home. And so she says she's going to see what she can do. And I already said Cora and her eyes. I mean, this scene, truly, they're the same color as the wall. Like if you see the scene, you have the wall behind her and it's just so like, I couldn't take my eyes off her eyes through the whole scene. And I've watched this scene a lot. Well, actually, I've watched the episode a lot. And yeah, already said that her eyes are just oh, magnificent. But now I'm going to say it again. I mean, you're used to it, okay? If I don't say in an episode that Cora is very pretty, that I love her. I mean, it's weird, right? So I'm going to say it. But then uh, we see Cora coming out of the hospital. And we can see by her face that she's a bit cross at Dr. Clarkson because apparently he says he cannot transfer Thomas because he can't just take someone somewhere and do whatever they want. You know, 
they can't technically do favoritism. And she's like, well, that's not really what I was asking. Like, I just wanted one person, you know. And I thought maybe because, you know, I'm the countess. And even O'Brien says, well, without like Lord Grantham and co, the hospital, they have a lot of money thanks to them. Well, you know how it works. And so she just thought maybe I can ask a favor because I almost never ask one. So, you know. But he tries to explain to her why he can't because he realizes he doesn't want her to be crossed with him. But apparently he can't transfer talks. But, oh my god, I love this scene. Robert comes to Cora's room when O'Brien is getting her ready for dinner. And so he says that he asks Clarkson to do what she asked. And so he says, only that I gathered you'd asked a favour, and given that the estate shoulders the hospital costs, it did seem a little unfair if we weren't allowed a few perks. Quite right. Thank you, darling. So I love it because, well, I actually really love it. There was a scene that were cut where you could see she was kind of cross and she just said that she asked something of Dr. Clarkson. She didn't say what it was, but she was kind of a bit upset because he didn't want to do it. And so he asked Dr. Clarkson to do what she asked him. And I love this thing because you realize the moment that he never asked what he was. He just says because she was upset that the doctor didn't do it. So he asked the doctor to, you know, because thanks to us, like the hospital, he has money and stuff, you know. He just played the fact that he has influence. But, but I love the fact that he didn't even ask what he was. And with that, he's not going to be really happy about it, actually. But yeah, I love it. And I love how he smiles at her and how she smiles at him like she's proud of him and she's so pretty i'll say it again but i don't know i think this, this scene is so cute i like when um so he leaves and o'brien says we're done my lady and cora she looks so proud of herself i just love it she's such a cutie i love her so yeah thomas is back thanks to robert <laughs> oh my god this makes me laugh and he's greeted by O'Brien. And you can see that she is generally happy that he's back. You can see on her face, we do not see a lot of joy or happiness in her face, like truly, but you can see like really. So like I said, I don't think that with Thomas, they're actually friends, they're allies. But like, I think that, yeah, she was kind of maybe scared for him for what might happen to him um, at war. And so, yeah, she was kind of happy. And so uh, he showed her his hand and where she's like oh my god and he even says to her see why it's not as bad as it looks and he got the job done because it got me home and so since he's home thanks to his hand i thought that that would be my french word of the day and so hands in french it's main and it's feminine so it's une main i do not think that in english you have that sound main because the way you've written it, it's the same way that you read the word main, like, you know, like main chapters, main characters, stuff like that. So it's M-A-I-N. So Thomas got home thanks to his hand. And so hand in French is main. But, of course, Thomas is back. And war has not changed him completely because first thing he has to do is give some snarky comments to everybody when he comes back. And I love the fact that it's Daisy who answers back when she says, don't be nasty, not as soon as you're back. 
I love it because last season she was so in love with him that literally, I mean, there were moments like, girl, please open your eyes. So I'm really happy that now she got her eyes opened. And so she talks back. And I have to say, Ethel, maybe it's just me, but she's flirting with him too. Which maybe it's just me and she's like that. But for me, it feels like she's flirting with him too. You know, when he says, I'm the one that got away. I'm like, I mean, I, I kind of like the fact that he wants to still be that guy that, oh yeah, I got away before everybody because I got the medical call and look where I am now. But when he was in the trenches like a couple of weeks ago, that's not the same speech he had. So yeah, I think I said it a lot, but Thomas and Mary are similar in lots of ways. And the, I want to be to be absolutely heartless and cold, they have definitely that in common. And well, Mrs. Hughes, she's already annoyed with the guy who just arrived, like he's here for five minutes, she's already annoyed with him. And Carson, he's literally ignoring him. I love just that moment when O'Brien, she's like, oh, Mr. Carson, we have a visitor. And then he says, as in him, I don't care, go away. <laughs> And so we talked about Robert that it's thanks to him that Thomas is back. And while during dinner, Violet says to Robert that she saw Thomas in the village. And Robert is like, what? What is he doing here? And she says, well, apparently he's working at the hospital. He's surprised. And he says, I wonder how he wangled that. Well, Robert, sorry to tell you, but it's you. It thanks to you that he's back. So yeah, well, technically it's thanks to your wife. And you, because you love your wife so much that you wanted her to be happy and not upset because Dr. Claxton didn't do what she wanted. So you asked Dr. Claxton to do what she wanted. And so thanks to you, he's back. So you can thank yourself. I just thought that was funny, truly. Especially when we see what is going to happen in the next episode. Bananas. So, Thomas now works at the hospital. But what is happening at the hospital? Because now where we have Thomas... There we have Sybil, we have Isabel, we have Dr. Clarkson, and we have a story with the patient, Lieutenant Courtney. So yeah, let's talk about what's happening down there. Sybil is working at the hospital now. She isn't Lady Sybil Crawley anymore, she's Nurse Crawley. And at the moment, Cora asks Branson to go and find Sybil at the hospital and to remind her that she's expected for dinner. And Sybil, she's a bit cross. Why am I invited to dinner? Like, there's no point. Like, she would say, why is like, the point of Mama's soiree? Like, I don't want to go. And I like that Isabel, she tries to find a sort of balance uh, between the two words. Like, you can still be part of the family and do your work because she says, well, I'm going to dinner tonight and I'm quite happy to go. So why can't you? So, well, she goes, but she doesn't really want to. So then... Because she goes, Thomas is going to cover for her. So he is taking care of this Lieutenant Courtney. And where well, he is blind because of the gas. And at first, their first like encounter is not like the best one. Uh, because Thomas says, well, maybe you will see again. And the guy's like, yeah, well, I will not. It's best if you just tell me the truth. Because it, it's not useful if you just tell me lies. But then you realize that they got a bit closer. like. Thomas reads him a letter that he got from home. I like this scene. I think it's very emotional because you realize that apparently this lieutenant, what he wanted to do was take care of the farm and like even say fishing, hunting, farming. 
Lawson that he can't really do what he thinks he can't do because, well, he's blind. And so apparently he was supposed to take on the farm, but now his little brother would do it. And I like this scene because Thomas is like, I mean, you have to fight back. You can't just now let go of everything. You know, you are not a victim, so you can't let them see you as a victim. And you can see that it's kind of a reflection from his own life. He says, you know, all my life I've been treated badly because I'm different. But, you know, like, you have to fight back. There's really something happening. And you can see that something is happening between the two men. I don't know if, like, Thomas is falling for him. But that a friendship or something, a bond that is created between the, the two. And Sybil is actually a bit attached to him, too. Where well, he is actually, the lieutenant likes her a lot. Because there was lots of pieces of scenes that were cut where you see him kind of flirting with her. But so you realize that Sibor and Thomas, they were both like kind of close to him. Then you see him making progress, like see him like trying to adapt to his condition outside to you know how to, where to walk with being blind. And Dr. Clarkson comes to see him and says that, well, he made good progress. So they want to send him away to a convalescence home. Because he said, well, you're not ill anymore. Technically, you just have to adapt to the fact that you are blind. So you just have to know how to live with being blind. But he doesn't want to go away. He even says, please don't let me go away. Like he wants to stay here with uh, Thomas and, and Sybil. And Thomas, he tries to say something, but Clarkson, the look gave him. Oh my God, I don't know if you saw that, but if you rewatched this episode, just look that moment, the look. It's really a look that says, shut up and says that he has to leave because they will have a lot of wounded soldiers that are going to come and we can't just stay here because technically access is not ill anymore and so then you have a scene between first it's just dr clarkson and thomas then sibir comes in i love this scene because like he says he is in charge he's major clarkson like he's in charge of the hospital and everything that goes in it so if he says something he gives you an order, you have to follow it. So he says that to Thomas, Mr. Well, I just think that Lieutenant Courtney is depressed. And Clarkson's like, yeah, it's not like I don't care, but I have people that need to come in that are dying and they need treatment. So depressed or not, he has to go. And Sybil comes in and I like when she says, I thought you would like to know what I think. And he is angry. He's like, why should I? And I love, love what he says. Nurse Crawley, I may not be your social superior in a Mayfair ballroom, but in this hospital, I have the deciding voice. And it's almost if you feel like, I don't think she did it on purpose, but it's something that Julian Fellow said in a comment in the script book that I thought was actually quite true. Well, he wrote it, so it must be true. But when he says that, Sybil thought because of who she is, she will have a more powerful voice, but she doesn't, I don't think she did it on purpose, like, oh, I'm Lady Sybil, he will listen to me. But just because she was born like that, she thought maybe her voice would be more powerful. But like Dr. Claxon says, in his hospital, she's just a nurse, so no, he doesn't care. And I like that scene too, because there's not really a right side to this argument, because you're a bit on Thomas's side and Sybil's side, the guy is depressed. And of course, and war, it's awful. And now he, he kind of had a hope 
in life again a bit thanks to Thomas and Sybil so you're like yeah he needs to stay but then in the other side you're like yeah but Dr. Glasson is right too because he needs the bed for the wounded soldier and technically right now just he's not wounded anymore where he doesn't need treatment right away so yeah there's not a really a right side to this argument and so the decision is he needs to go and well this is not a happy ending because in the end Lieutenant Courtney cut his wrists and so well he is dead. You see Thomas crying alone and I think this scene is very sad because I think there's a lot happening in his head at that moment because first just imagine the journey the guy wanted to be in the medical court to avoid being at the front and to die during battle but in the end he ended up at the front and it was absolutely awful then he managed to come back so he thought it would be better now i'm going to say not awful because you see the wounded and he saw them but obviously he would not be at the front so he would be safe and now that he it's almost like the first patient he got when he came back from war and he managed to make him feel better like everything was going fine like i think even part of him thought this guy is feeling better thanks to me. Like, it's very, it's rewarding, you know. And then the guy just killed himself because he had to go because we told him that he couldn't stay. So that's a lot. And I think him crying, it's um, all the after effects of the war and everything that happened. Like, he feels like, yeah, it's a failure. Like, he tried everything he could to make him feel better and at the end he died. So, yeah, I thought this scene was very strong. Then uh, Clarkson, Isabel and Sybil are talking together and Sybil says it's because we asked him to go away. That's why he killed himself. Clarkson's like, well, it's awful, but I had no choice. I mean, we can't do convalescence home. I mean, we, we talked about it last episode. Isabel said they can't convalesce here. We need to take every room available for the wounded and to treat them. I mean, the nearest, I mean, apparently it's quite far, but I don't know what I can do. And then Isabel has an idea. Her idea is to turn Downton Abbey into a convalescence home. And Clarkson is like, oh, well, do you think they would agree? And like Queen says, would they even consider it? Like, I mean, because for people on the outside, it's a castle and it's huge and it has, I'm not saying it's useless, but it doesn't feel like a home. For people that live in it, it's their home. So it's, um, yeah, it's two different point of views. But Sibor, she's like, I think they can and they will. Because if I go and tell them that a guy just killed himself because he had to go far away, I think, yeah, I can persuade them to do it. And so like we said, we have new wounded arriving at the hospital. And we have a scene between Sibor and Branson because the last time we saw them, he made his declaration. And so what he wants to know if she can be not persuaded to love him, but if there is a chance. And she says, well, that for the first time in her life that she feels useful. So, I mean, that must be something because she even says, well, it's more horrible than I could have imagined, but I feel useful. And she says, I could never go back to my life before the war. So that is kind of good news for Branson because that means that something between them might be possible and Matthew comes in and he says well I'm coming here to help but you realize when he comes in the 
look of shock he has on his face like I think the guy has been to war so he's so dead he saw the wounded but when you are literally at the hospital so you feel like all these people here they are safe but you see how they are suffering and what happened to them you realize where he's shocked but then battle story of convalescence home the girls are in a drawing room and they talk about it and violet is opposed to the idea like truly and sybil she's like why and even mary tries to convince her that it's not that bad it's just for people to rest so maybe yeah and at the beginning courage is not too keen on it first but then violet is so opposed like she's the queen of the place that it makes cora angry and i already told you you know she's the worst because she's calm angry and at that moment she is very very angry the look she gives violet oh i love this scene it's out of the question. I hesitate to remind you, but this is my house now. Robert's in mine, and we will make the decision. What I love, actually, in this scene at that moment, because they all have drinks, so they have drink after um, dinner, and she she gets up to get her drink, and she's like, I need a drink. I'm angry. You know, dealing with my mother-in-law, it's too much. I need a drink. Really, this scene, oh, I love it. And Violet, she's, she's been taken aback by what just happened. I see. So now I'm an outsider who need not be consulted. Since you put it like that, yes. Oh my God, Cora angry. I kind of love it, actually. <laughs> because like I said, it's, you know, she doesn't shout. It's still in a calm, well, she's not calm, but you know what I mean? Like, still sweet voice, but oh my God, the look she gives Violet. And I love the, I need a drink. I mean, the way she snaps at her. Oh my God, I love it. So we realized that a part of her wanted to turn the house to convalescence home just because that's what Violet does want them to do. I think a part of her wants that just because Violet is completely appalled by the idea. And so because the ladies are in the drawing room, the men, so, well, it's just Robert and Matthew, they are sitting in the dining room and Robert is smoking. And, okay, just going to make a quick pause here to say, I'm not like, I don't really, I'm not gonna say I don't like people smoking, but I don't like smoking. I don't like smoke. I hate the smell of it. Actually, I don't like it, but I mean, Robert's smoking is kind of sexy. I have to say, okay. I already thought about that in the first episode of the show when he was smoking and he was having a chat with the Duke. But yeah, that's it. That's the end. I'm gonna end that there and come back to Robert and Matthew. So Robert asked him how he was at the hospital. And you can see at that moment, Matthew is literally staring into nothing. Like I said, we could see that he was shocked by what he saw. And what he says, there's a lot of feelings, emotions, and it's so strong. I mean, I think it's, this line is just, it's perfect. And the way he says it, it's just, yeah. At the front, the men pray to be spared, of course. But if that's not to be, they pray for a bullet that kills them cleanly. Too many of them today, that prayer had not been answered. I mean, this this is a really strong thing to say. I think he said it just beautifully. And it just shows you the horror of what's happening down there. Like I said, with Lang, he has been there, so he doesn't understand why some people want to be a part of it. Because he came back and he says, no, no one wants to go to war. But actually, once you're in there, 
The only thing you want to do is come back home. And so, well, in the end, at breakfast, we had the confirmation that, that we returned into a convalescent home. That we start in the next episode. And, well, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a bit difficult for everybody to adapt. Bananas. So we already talked a bit about him, but what is happening in our boy Robert's head? Because we said last episode that he was falling slowly into depression, well, it's getting worse. So like I said, he's still on the, I want to go to war, I feel like a fraud into this whole thing. Just at the beginning, when Lang is dressing him, he snaps at him and then he says, well, I'm sorry, I have no right, like you have been in the trenches. I was not, I'm useless, and, you know, all this. And when William goes to see him and Cora in the library to tell them that he has been called up, again, the moment William and Carson leave the room, you see his depressed face, and he says, So both my footmen have gone to the war while I cut ribbons and make speeches. And keep people's spirits up, which is very important. By God, I envy them there. I envy their self-respect and I envy their ability to sleep at night. So Cora, she's still trying to cheer him up. She's trying to tell him, you're not a fool. You're not useless. We talked about it last episode, but she is glad that he's not going to war, obviously, because it would save her to pray each night for his welfare, you know, and it would save her to wait until he came home and to hope that he would not be killed. And when he says, you know, I envy their ability to sleep at night, I think he should talk to Lang because I'm not sure that Lang can sleep at night. So yeah, he thinks that because they have been the war, so they feel better because they have been part of it. But I can assure you, Robert, I'm not sure there's a lot of people that are at war that can sleep at night. So again, it's a, a, a nice pirate because you have someone that came back from war completely shaken traumatized by what happened and maybe because Robert has already been through a war so he thinks I know how it feels like so I want to be there but we all know in history speaking that the first world war was one of the most horrible war like the casualties were enormous it was a butchery like it was absolutely awful and so yeah again sometimes you should really talk with Ling like just look at the guy and maybe you would change your mind because actually nobody thinks he's a fraud. He's the only one. And that's the worst. Well, that's the same thing with depression. When you're depressed, you can't just... Whatever someone tells you, it will not make you feel better. Like, it takes time to get out of it. But nobody thinks he is a fraud. He thinks he, he's useless. So that's how you can feel that he really isn't in a good place. Because then he speaks with Matthew. And Matthew... Um, so he asks a question by the general. And Matthew so asks him question about the regiment, what is going on, and Robert tells him. It seems I won't be going to the front after all. I made a mistake. We only wanted a mascot. And the look on his face. Even Matthew can feel that he feels sorry for him, but Matthew, he wants you to say to him, man, thank God you're not in it. I mean, it's just, I don't want to go. Like, I mean, yeah. And you can see that Cora, she heard what he says. I mean, she's trying whatever she can. To make him feel better, but she can't. Because there's a scene where they're together, so in Cora's room, 
when she looks at him, you know, with her sweet voice and her loving eyes, and she tells him, I heard what you said to Matthew about the regiment. Everyone else knows what a fool I made of myself. Why shouldn't he? I don't think you're a fool. Isn't that enough? No. Maybe it should be, but it isn't. This is so heartbreaking. To be honest, I can cry when I'm just talking about it. Because I talked about it last episode, but it's hard when you want so bad to help someone. It feels like Robert doesn't want to be helped because he thinks that the only thing that will help him is to go to war. So he doesn't accept what everyone is telling him and what everyone is telling him that you're not a fool, you're not a fraud, you don't need to go to war because no one wants to go to war. They all want to come home, don't go there. And, well, it's awful. <laughs> I said that a lot, I know. I'm, I repeat myself, but truly, I'm heartbroken for the both of them because Courage doesn't know what to do or say to make him feel better and he is completely depressed but i don't think right now is really deep into depression but yeah he will be soon and actually there were um a piece of it that was cut when so it's a scene and matthew and robert are together in the dining room and robert is smoking and matthew tells him what he saw at the hospital and before that matthew he tries to comfort him by telling him that he's not a fool and even last episode when Robert said to him during dinner, I'm back in the army. And he said to Mary, he won't be going to the front. But he said that in a way like, please tell me he won't go. And so he kept telling him, you're not a fool. Like, no. And so, like I said, no one thinks he's a fool. Just himself. They all try to make him feel better. And I like the fact that Matthew tried. And I wish he would listen to him because Matthew has been at the front. He doesn't want to come back to that. But yeah, I just wish that Robert would listen to Matthew. But we haven't talked about Edith. Because Edith, she has a nice little story for her in this episode. During dinner, she says that she's so Mrs. Drake. And so we're like, mm-hmm, I know that name. Like I said, it was in episode two. I told you that we would see them again. Well, they're back. Apparently, they needed someone to drive the tractor. And so Edith, I love that scene. Edith says, So I told her I could do it. What? I said I could drive the tractor. To be honest, that is probably one of my favorite words of the show. Um, it's actually in my intro, if you have my intro in mind. But I like it because she says, what? But in the end, there's a tiny smile on her mouth, like, you're going to drive the tractor. She's like, yeah, I would do it. And Violet, she's shocked, like, uh, please? Are you kidding me? Edith, you are a lady, not Toad of Toad Hall. Well, I'm doing it. And I like it because you can see that Mary, she smashed kind of amused. I don't know if she's, she's amused by the idea of Edith driving the tractor or Edith standing up to Violet. But Robert is amused too. Like, he's smiling, like, I think they're all like, you know what, take initiatives. And I already said it. Edith, take initiative, good girl. But I like the look on Robert's face and, and when he looks across the table at his wife, like they're kind of proud of the girl, like I love it, especially because she just turned up to Violet. And so she arrives at the farm and the Drake, they're also surprised, like you are going to drive the tractor. And Edith, she arrives with trousers. I mean, that is so cool. I love it. You can see that she's enjoying herself, like truly. And then there's um discussion that she and Mr. Drake have that, well, I quite like it. Farming needs a kind of toughness, doesn't it? 
There's room for sentiment, but not sentimentality. Beautifully put, if I may say so, my lady. You should be a writer. And I like this exchange because he says that she should be a writer. Wow. Bananas. But then, so she goes there a lot. And you realize that her and Mr. Drake are getting a bit too close. He even says something like, well, you're beautiful, you're smart and stuff. And his wife hears that. And you can see with the look that she has on her face that she's not very pleased by what she just heard. But then you're like, it's just words, you know? But then, so it's night and you really see on Edith's face that she's happy. She, I think it's a bit like Sybil. She feels useful. But then Drake kisses her and his wife kind of see it. So, well, too bad. And to be honest... This is also a comment that Julian made. I don't believe that she like fell in love with him. Before the first, well not the first time because we had Stranan, before another time in her life someone acknowledges her as Edith. She's not even a lady anymore here. She's just a girl. And it's not even in a situation where her sisters are here because she has always been compared to her sisters because she, well, she's not Mary, she's not Sybil, Sybil is the rebellious one. Maybe some people must have said that she's less pretty than the other two. But here, at the farm, she's just Edith. And so someone just talks to her like she's a human being, like she's interesting. Even says that she's pretty, like really. And I think never in her mind she would have think, I'm going to get married with the farmer. But she had, like, it's exactly like I said with Stralan, but I think it's even stronger here because first you have the war so it kind of changed the mentality of a lot of people but she did something useful for the first time in her life which is again it's very gratifying when you did i did something and it mattered because usually what they do they like say marry the pay calls and they organize dinners or things for charity but at that moment she said i helped this family you know i helped them for the farm so i think she felt useful and yeah someone finally again acknowledges us so I think it was more the feeling that she loved than just him it was more what he made her feel than what he is I don't know if you know what I mean I think she loves herself at that moment she feels proud of her and yeah again I think it's more the feeling that she has when she's with him that leads to that kiss and that she's very grateful more than just the guy himself I don't know if that is understandable, but I hope you understood me. But so like we said, they kiss and the wife, well, she saw it. So at the end of the episode, at breakfast, Robert, he has a letter. And in the letter, apparently it says that they don't need her anymore at the farm. We hire someone and you see Edith's face. And I she's crushed because she had a purpose at the moment in her life. I'm going to go to farm and do things. Now... She doesn't have it anymore. Robert says, well, I, I suppose it's a relief. And she's like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> she says, well, no, I would not say exactly that. But you see, not absolutely not. She's sad. And I feel sad for her. Well, obviously, she just kissed the guy. So I can understand the wife and want her to go away. But I'm really sad for her because, um, yeah. And her having something to do make that her and Mary, they didn't argue anymore. Even if Mary said something about it, when Matthew said you should be unkind, and she says, like, 
asking the fox to spare the chicken, but you realize that it's not the same way. You know, it's not just, I'm going to try to make you miserable anymore. I feel really bad for Edith. But better days will come for her soon. Bananas. About being sad. Last episode, we left Anna brokenhearted. We left her like a crumpled piece of paper lying in a corner somewhere. Yes, I do love that metaphor because, well, Bates left and she thought they were going to get married and he left to go back to his wife because, well, you know, scandal, pamuk, no, no, no. And if you remember, in episode seven, so the last episode of season one, we realized that mostly he kind of liked Anna because he asked to Mr. Bates if she was keen on someone. And if someone was keen on her, you know, and he asked Bates. So that was like literally the worst person you could ask because, well, Bates was in love with her. Well, Bates is not here anymore. So mostly he decided that he's going to try again. And so he comes to the house to see Anna, but Anna, she's not there. And he just says that he bought a book for her. And so he asked Ethel if she can give it to him. So the book, it's um, Elizabeth and her German garden. And I love Ethel. She's like, oh, I wonder what's this about. I absolutely love O'Brien's line. It's about an invitation to talk some more, that's what. And so he comes in again to the house to see Anna, to ask if she has read the book. And she's like, well, I got yesterday. So he's like, yeah, but maybe we can talk about it together. So you understood to the beginning that, and O'Brien understood too, that it's an excuse for them to talk. But Anna at first was like, oh yeah, that's nice. Maybe we can ask if other people want to join in and have a book club. And well, that is absolutely not what uh, Mosley had planned. So he said, well, yeah, yeah, maybe it would be just, just the two of us. And that moment, you see that Anna, she starts feeling uncomfortable because she just realized what was all this about. Maybe she knew it already, but at that moment precisely, she's like, oh, you don't really want to talk about the book, actually. And obviously, well, you, you know that she's not interested in Mosley because she's still in love with Bates. And Mrs. Hughes, she's constrained for her. So again, we said, Anna, Mrs. Hughes, we love them. We love Mrs. Hughes. You know, she kind of half saved the day with the Bates and his wife situation. She asked Anna, how is she doing? And Anna says, well, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I can't feel sorry for myself. I mean, when you see what's happening in France with the war, I mean, I'm okay. And I absolutely love this line from Mrs. Hughes. A broken heart can be as painful as a broken limb. And Anna, again, the sweetest, like, well, don't feel sorry for me, no. I know what real love is. And even now, if it's gone, well, there are many people that never knew that in their lives, so I'm okay. She's not. But, you know, we know that she's not. But, okay. If she says so. And, well, you know. Mosley, he has to try again. But this time, he's a bit more direct. Um, he even said, no, it's not about the book, but I know Mr. Bates will not come back. So I thought maybe we could see more of each other. And I love the fact that she turns him down, but she turns him down gently because she's very, well, she's a sweet person. But I love how she literally made him understand that it will never happen because even if Bates is gone, I will always think about him all the time. So no, I can't get over it. I can't get over him. And I don't want to because I'm in love with him. Maggie, when she said, well, I, I take it as a really compliment. 
yeah, so poor Mr. Mosley, but don't worry, Mosley, your turn will come. You have to wait a bit, but your turn will come. Bananas. And well, you realize, like I said, you know, she says that she still love him. And she has um, a talk with Mary. And they talk about love and how you should marry the person you love more than anyone else. And well, we're going to talk a bit about that later. We're going to talk about Mary. But in the end, Anna, she says, I'll never love again like I love him. So she's fixed on that. For her, if she cannot marry Bates, she would not marry anyone else. So it's romantic, but it's a bit sad too, you know, because she said, I've, I've known love, but you've known love for not that long. So it's very sad. I mean, yeah, I feel sorry for her because she's the sweetest. And I mean, she doesn't have luck. I think Joanne Fellows, he said to himself, like I said last episode, well, Happiness is boring, so all the bad things and unhappy things, we're going to put it on Anna and Bates. Bananas. So, Carson. Carson, he tries to work as if there's no war. We already talked about last episode, but he tries really to keep the standards like they were. Say, war or not war, we are going to stay the same. It's difficult when you have no footmen. And even in the beginning of the episode, we see him bringing wood for the fire. And we understand very clearly that he's not supposed to do that. Even Mrs. Hughes like, why are you doing that? It's not your job to do it. Like, you're overworking yourself. You need to stop that. And you see through the episode at the beginning that he doesn't feel well. Like he is struggling to open a bottle of wine. <laughs> even during uh, so the first dinner they had. So he's just just the family I see that he's not really well <laughs> when at the moment uh, Robert says where well, they talk about Matthew Robert says well if Matthew is coming home we need to invite him to dinner and so you know like um, having a bit of a party the look Carson gives Robert at that moment like you want to give a party and have guests when I have no footmen to serve at table do you want my death or what so that's why he asks Lang to serve at table because he can't have a maid in the dining room for such a party. And that is the dinner where, where nothing goes right. <laughs> because again, um, he's mad at Lang because the service is not done properly. And then he feels like he wants to serve everything himself, which he can't do. And he ends up spilling the sauce onto Edith's dress. At that moment, you realize he's not being all right at all. He feels faint. Everyone goes by his side because they realize that something is wrong. You think it's like he has a heart attack. And so they take care of him, like um, Sybil takes care of him. But they're all worried, like truly. And so like I said, Sybil uh, take care of him with Matthew. They take him to his room. And so Mrs. Hughes arrives and she takes the lead for the rest of the dinner. And she asks Anna and Ethel to, well, serve dinner. She says, well, Anna, you have to serve the wine. If Mr. Carson sees that, he's going to die. But he's literally maybe dying right now. So, I mean, that is absolutely not the priority. And so during our COVID scene in Cora's room, they talk about Carson. And, well, Robert says, well, it's not a heart attack. And Cora says, he's working much too hard. And what I like is that Robert and Cora... They're like, he got to let the maid serve in the dining room. And they both agrees. And 
Even Robert already agreed to that in the first episode of the show. We were saying that it was thing on the word than a maid serving a table. Because I think they absolutely don't care. They just want to eat their dinner. So who serves them? It's like, pfft, I don't care. And then we have this, I love this scene. It's one of my favorite of the episode. I might have said that already a lot, but I love this scene. Mary, she comes to see him. And I think this is so sweet. I love their relationship, Mary and Carson, I just love it. And, you know, obviously, because she comes in, he's supposed to stand up. And he, he, he wants to, like he tries to. It's like, no, like, rest easy, please. And I like when he says, oh, are you sure you should be here? And I like when she says, let's hope my reputation will survive it. And this is, it's so sweet. Love what is being said, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Mary. Let's stay with Carson for now. Other scene that I love, but I love usually all their scenes together, it's between Mrs. Hughes and Carson. So Mrs. Hughes, she tells him, well, I will supervise the dinner and Anna and Ethel will serve. And Carson realizes, like, oh, that's not how you should do it. And he still wants to be useful. So, oh, you know, I'm going to choose the wine. And she's like, no, like, his lordship already done that. And you feel like, say, okay, so you don't need me anymore. And she tells him, just try to rest, you know. <laughs> he says, to rest or to feel redundant both if it'll slow you down for a minute and a half the world does not turn on the style of a dinner my world does and I mean, because we, we realize that this work this job this family this house it's all his life it's everything to him like we already said he had a life before it and he chose to leave it to do this like this is everything it's all his life and he is proud to do it and he's happy like this is this is why he's living you know to be the butler of Downton Abbey I like it because at the end at breakfast he's back and <laughs> they're all concerned for him so I like it you realize that you know, they really do care for their employees because Robert tells him say are you sure you should do that you know we can manage with Mrs. Hughes it was fine Quite sure, my lord. And breakfast is not a taxing assignment. But the way he says that, he's like, okay, you want to get rid of me or what? <laughs> I really like it. We love Carson because Carson is our favorite drama queen. And now, I mean, I waited long enough and you've been waiting for long enough listening through that episode to talk about Mary and Matthew. And last episode, we added a third person to the circus. Lavinia. And now let's add a fourth one because it's not complicated enough. So like we said, Matthew is coming home. He will tour England with the general, so he's home. So, you know, they talk about it at dinner and that's when Robert says, well, we need to invite him for dinner. And Mary, she's like, yes, but I wanted to ask Sir Richard Collide to come in. And again, we talked about it last episode. She said she wanted to invite him. You know, and when Corinne Robert talked about it, Robert was like, uh, she wants to invite a whole crew of newspapers candle to stay as a guest in this house. Well, I'm not very pleased at the idea. And I like it because Mary, she said that she wanted to invite him from Saturday to Monday. So for the weekend, but I love it because they do not say weekend because, uh, well, what is a weekend? And so we meet. Sir Richard Carlyle, and he arrives with Rosamond. Oh yeah, because Violet says, well, he must not think you're after him. 
So you need to invite someone else, not just Richard Carlyle. So invite Rosamund, you know, she's not a guest. She's blood. So, you know, it's okay. And I like it because um, Mary, she asked Rosamund, say, oh, he's nice. And she's like, maybe if he took interest in something else than his papers, I'm sure he would be nice. And so at dinner, like we said, we have Matthew, Isabel and Lavinia coming in. And you realize that Richard and Lavinia, they do know each other. You know that that will lead to a story because nothing is said just to be said. You know, there's something deeper in it. So you're like, okay, how do we know each other? Like, this is a bit suspicious, especially because he's like, oh, her uncle and I are old friends. And she feels a bit embarrassed and she's well old acquaintances anyway. So you're like, okay, this is weird. And oh my God. Violet talking to Carla, I love this scene because I love how the way she says, Mary tells me you're a newspaper. I mean, the way she feigned to be interested because I don't believe she's really interested. But it's just, I love this scene and how he answers her. I mean, this scene is, I love it. And so I like when Mary then comes in to the conversation and she says, So now you've met Granny. I warn you, she has very strong opinions. Oh, you need have no fear where that's concerned, my dear. We're more than evenly matched. I love it. I mean, oh, I love it. But you realise that, yeah, if you compare Richard Carlyle to Matthew, you're like, yeah, there's no resemblance between the two of them. And I like when Sybil asks Rosamond, what do you think Mary sees in him? And she answers, besides the money, you mean? And Sybil, for her, it's like, she can't be interested in him just for the money. Like, this is absurd. And Rosamund's like, well, maybe for you, but maybe for her, it's enough. And so everyone talks about this Richard Carlyle. Robert, he even asks his sister, like, what do you think about him? He's an opportunity. Mary needs a position, and preferably a powerful one. He can provide it. You don't think she'd be happier with a more traditional setup? Will she have the option? And he doesn't really react to what she says. Robert, he doesn't know anything, okay? We already said that. He's not aware of anything, okay, that is happening in his house or in his daughter's life, like nothing. But you fear that Rosamond, she knows more than him because the way she speaks of which had the option, she knows that there's a scandal where there has been rumors. So she's still on that because obviously usually rumors, sometimes they're based on truth. I think she's still on the rumors and Robert completely forgot it. No, like I've read the rumors. They can't be true because my daughter, my house scandal. I mean, you saw how he reacted when Carson told him that Bates' wife uh, threatened to give a scandal to uh, the press. And he was like, oh, there's no scandal in this house. And again, a line from Violet that I love that she says to Carlyle after Carson and his uh, dizzy spell. You'll find there's never a dull moment in this house. I absolutely love this line because, yeah, it's true. There is never a dull moment in this house. And after that, when dinner is finished and everybody is coming home, there were scenes that were cut and lines that I thought was quite funny and interesting. And it's a scene between Isabel and Violet where um, Isabel asks her, what did you make of Matthew's replacement? And Violet answers, perhaps he'll improve on acquaintance. And I thought it was quite funny because last episode, Violet, when she saw Lavinia, she said, oh, that's Mary's replacement. 
and out of the fact that Isabel named Carlisle Matthew's replacement. So I realized that both of them thought, like even Isabel said it last episode, that they thought and they wished that Matthew and Mary would come back together. And I like this uh, little exchange. And you see that Violet, she is absolutely not keen on this Richard Carlisle. And so, well, when I talked about Carson, I said that Mary comes to see him and that I loved this little chat that they have. Well, I absolutely love it because he says to her that he's sorry that he has brought dinner for Sir Richard because he was invited by her, obviously. And then he asks her if they're going to see him again. And she's like, maybe, perhaps. And so he's still on the, well, and what about Matthew? And I love, love what he says. May I give you one piece of advice, my lady? Tell him what's in your heart. If you still love him, let him know. Then even if he's killed, and he may be, you won't be sorry. If you don't tell him, you could regret it all your life long. And what about Miss Swire? Look, Miss Swire. As if any man in his right mind could prefer Miss Swire to you. I love this exchange because obviously he's knocking on Lavinia. We already said that. But his problem with Lavinia is just because she's Mary's replacement. That is his issue with her. A part of me thinks he's right, you know, because Matthew is going to, maybe he's going to die and she loves him and maybe it's best to tell him now because he's not married yet so he can still end off the engagement and then come back to her. And then when Mrs. Jules comes in, I like when she says, Carson's been boosting my confidence. And Mrs. Jules' face when Mary leaves when she says, That's something I'd never have thought she was short of. The look on Carson's face, and I like it because they're really close to each other and that she, she teases him a lot about Lady Mary. And they know that they would never agree on that. But I love the fact that she, she keeps teasing him and he kind of, like he knows that she's teasing. Like, I don't know, really do like their relationship. And so then uh, we have a scene where uh, you have Cora, Roberts, Richard and Mary walking outside. Where's Rosamond? She's with your mama. Trying to talk around the idea of Sir Richard. You don't sound very enthusiastic. Are you? I mean, Robert, you didn't sound enthusiastic when Cora told you about it last episode. You know, I even like when he says, lucky I have a sense of irony. No, he didn't sound enthusiastic at all. So, yeah. But then Mary and Richard, they talk and you realize that he really wants to do things properly. He wants to learn how to do things properly to well, adapt to this life. Because if he has to marry Mary, he will be part of the aristocracy. So he really wants to learn. He's, even when she says, no, you don't care about city rules. He says, maybe I don't care. It doesn't mean I don't want to do them because it's how you should do it to do things properly. So yeah, like he's willing to make a lot of effort to be part of this lot. But also he's still him when he says, no, I'm not ashamed to be what they call the safe man man. I mean, we have to give him that, that he makes efforts. And he wants to learn to do things properly. And I like when he says that he asks Mary if she's shocked by his uh, modern values. Oh, Sir Richard, you flatter yourself. It takes a good deal more than that to shock me. I really love her answer. Oh, and then, oh my God, maybe that is my favorite scene of the episode. I don't know, to be honest. Love this scene between Violet and Rosamond. The whole conversation, I love it. And it starts with Violet saying, 
I'm not a romantic. I should hope not. But even I will concede that the heart does not exist solely for the purpose of pumping blood. That is charming, especially from you. Absolutely love it, especially when you know that in episode 7 of season 1, Violet said something. You know, she said something, and Sybil said, Oh, Granny, you're romantic. I said, Well, I've been called many things, but never that. I love actually this scene because you realize how much they are the same. Like Rosamond, she's definitely her mother. The way she speaks, the way she acts, her character, they are very similar. Then Rosamond says, But Mary seems to have blotted her copybook in some way. And you realize the way she looks at her mother, she's waiting for an answer or reaction to kind of confirm what she suspects because there are rumors and are the rumors true and she's waiting for something and you realize that Violet she doesn't say anything she's like oh I don't know something happened I have no idea and you realize that she's waiting on an answer but she doesn't give it and so then she continues and she says so she needs a suitable marriage that will mend her fences and Violet how do we know that Carlisle is suitable yeah, how do we know that he's suitable? And well, actually, then after that, Rosamund, she says the same thing that she said, Robert, he's powerful, that he could give her a position, a powerful one, he could give her that, and he is rich. So on the paper, this is all that you need, technically. And then they talk about Marmaduke, so Rosamund, late husband, because we know that she has lots of money because of him. So now we know more about him, and apparently, where they kind of argue on the fact because Rosamund said, he was a gentleman. And you have Violet saying he was the grandson of a manufacturer. So realize that he actually was kind of a grandson of a self-made man that made his own fortune. But apparently his mother was a daughter of a baronet. So they were in the aristocracy, but like very recently. Thanks to the money they had. Because of the money they made, they could have bought their place in the aristocracy. A bit like Cora. She came into the aristocracy because she had money and they needed it. So... You know, it's like, uh, it's a win-win exchange. She even says that. The point is, I made up for any social deficiencies and he provided me with a position. It was a good exchange and it worked well. And Vaya, she still doesn't understand why Matthew chose Lavinia. Like for her, it's like, why are you not still in love with Mary? You should choose Mary. And I love Rosamond's answer. You speak so eloquently of the human heart, Mama. You must be aware of its vagaries. And I love it because this conversation, what Rosamond says, it would be such a violent thing to say, you know. And so, again, she is the daughter of her mother. Like, truly, they're the same. But so we said that Lavinia and Richard apparently didn't know each other. And at the moment, Rosamond is, well, she's coming back from the Tower House. And she hears them and she sees them arguing outside. And he's threatening her. So you're like, okay, there is something fishy about the whole thing. And you can see that Lavinia, she's a bit embarrassed that Rosamond saw what just happened. And so obviously Rosamond, she saw that, so she had to talk to Mary. And she asked her, uh, how do they know each other? Because I saw them kind of arguing outside and stuff. And Mary's like, I don't know, you know, they met in London and who cares? And so we back to Mary. And so she talks with Anna and she says, well, Carson, she's been giving me some advice. It was about honesty. And I really like what Anna says. 
They do say honesty is the best policy. And I think you regret being honest less often than you regret telling lies. You realize at this moment, so Mary was kind of thinking, should I tell him? Should I not? Maybe after what Anna says, she's like, okay, I will tell him. Like it's two people that I trust a lot. They're like my family almost. If they tell me that, maybe I should do it. And so then the next morning, she's on a train station with Richard Carlyle. And I like the this scene because it's a, well, it's definitely a parallel to the scene with Matthew on the train station, but it's definitely, you do not have the same emotions. She, she doesn't have tears in her eyes when he's leaving. And so he tells her that he wants to marry her. And her answer, I don't know why every time I laugh, I'm not going to lie, because like he wants to marry her. And she says, why? And she's really like, why would you want to marry me? And the whole thing, you know, he says that he thinks very highly of her. But he says, we make a good team because we're the same. And what I think is that Mary and Richard could have worked, but before Pamuk. Because we said that Pamuk changed Mary. And I think he's, well, he's not from the aristocrats. But the guy in itself, like his way of thinking, like how he is, how he acts. I think this is a man that could have suited her before Pamuk. Maybe she would not have married him because he's only a guy that has newspaper. But I mean, just if you forget the fact that he's not in the aristocracy, just the guy. Because what he says, I think we could make a good team together. Now she's all about we need love. But before Matthew, she was almost like, we don't marry for love. She was she almost had this kind of um, idea of marriage. So, yeah, I don't know. I think they might have worked, but before Pamuk and before Matthew. Because you had Pamuk, but then she fell in love with Matthew. So, yeah, they can't work now. But then, Mary, you see her coming at Crowley House. Because you realize that she's ready. She wants to say her feelings to Matthew. But outside Crowley House, she sees Lavinia and she's crying. And so they talk and apparently Matthew, he needs to leave a day early. And Lavinia, she's worried because like, well, yeah, he's not going back to France right now, but he will go back and I don't want him to die and that's when she says if he dies I don't think I can go on living now Mary you see in her face that she realizes that she changed her mind or she begins to change her mind because after that Matthew comes in and so she leaves and he's like oh Mary why why are you here but then she sees Lavinia and I think at that moment she says no I can't say it because of Lavinia so she doesn't tell him how she feels. And he finds the whole thing odd. He's like, why are you here? He's like, oh, I want to ask if you're still coming for dinner. He's like, well, of course I'm coming for dinner. Why? And she says, well, I need an excuse for a walk and stuff. But you realize that he doesn't really believe her. He thinks the whole thing is odd. But she can't just tell him, well, I came because I wanted to tell you how I feel. But now I won't. So bye. And so uh, then at dinner, well, just before dinner, he tells her, I want you to be happy. He says, I found someone now, so I want you to be happy. And so after all that, she's with Anna again before going to bed. And she tells her, I'm going to accept him, him being Richard Carlyle. And at that moment that we have, they have this talk and Anna says, well, if you love him more than anything else, yes. And she's like, well, no, but maybe it's second best, but I'll have a life. But for Anna, it's like, no you know like so you have these two sides mary said well to have a life i need to get married which is sadly true but anna's like no 
And she even says, and I'm not your ladyship. And of course it's different because people that stay in service, it was rare that if they stayed in service, they got married. But when you're in from the aristocracy and you are a woman, you kind of had to get married. And the thing is with the whole Pamuk scandal, like Cora says, she has to marry soon. I like this talk because it's a comment that Julian says, uh, when he says that in this scene, Parvu is on Anna's side because it's super romantic. But if you see like the reality of it, you'll be on Mary's side too. So again, it, this, it's not an argument when you have two sides and you think she should not marry Richard because she's in love with Matthew. But again, you're like, yeah, but no, it's tricky. And about Lavinia, I love the fact that Julian made Lavinia a nice girl. Because apparently don't like her because she is an obstacle to Mary and Matthew being together. But deep down, if you just see her, you're like, she is a nice girl. So I, I like it because if she was horrible, it would be easier to hate her and say, oh, Mary is better. But I like it because I think she even brings out the best in Mary because she's really nice to her. And we see that, especially in the following episode, Bananas. But the relationship that she has with Lavinia because Matthew loves her, she's nice to her. And because she's nice, you, know, she, you can't say anything against her. And it's because she doesn't say her feelings, but you can see that she is struggling with it because she loves him. And so before ending this episode, I will give you my music of the day. And well, it's been a while since I haven't talked about Taylor Swift. Well, a while, it depends for whom. And actually, I had this idea thanks to an edit on Instagram made by That Crawley Girl. It was Mary and Matthew, season two, with this song. And it stayed in my head. And when I saw that episode, I just thought, this is the perfect song. So that was I Almost Do, Tara's version by Tara Swift. Um, so like I said, it was on the Instagram post and it stayed in my mind. And when I saw it, I said, oh my God, this is the perfect song. So thank you, that Crawley Girl, for making that montage. It was really beautiful. And actually, yeah, the song is perfect for Mary in season two, because it's really like, I wish I could tell you my feeling. And every time I don't, I almost do it. Like she almost did it. And I like the, I hope you know that. So I like the idea that a part of her thinks that maybe Matthew thinks that she still loves him. Maybe he convinced himself that she doesn't. I mean, yeah, last episode, the song was also about Mary and Matthew, but they, I'm not going to say they're the center of season two, but I believe Mary is one of the main characters, if you had to pick main characters of the show. Well, we talked about her a lot in season one. We talked about her a lot in season two. And her relationship with Matthew is really a center of the show for now, Bananas. And I have a lot of songs, truly, when I listen to them, I'm like, oh, this is so Mary and Matthew. So yeah, if I have ideas, I can at least share them with you. 
Yeah, quite tricky. It's complicated. Mary and Matthew, it was already complicated with just the two of them. Now they're four. I mean, this is, this is tricky. But yeah, that's it for this episode. That is also very long. I hope it would be shorter than last episode, but I'm sorry. But there's a lot to talk about. I already said there's a lot of characters and I like to be thorough. I can't summarize. This is my, my biggest flaw. I can't summarize, okay? Maybe now you know. You've already figured it out by yourself. But it's something I can't do. So I like going into details. Um, but yeah, so I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please, if you want and if you can, send me a message. Even if you just to say, hi, I like the episode. Bye. You just say that. I'm really happy. So I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode three of season two. And until then, take care of yourself and don't forget. Vive la différence! Okay.